Well, our text this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there now with me. I'm going to read out of the NIV. If you have your copy of the story, this is going to be on page 309, so you can turn there and follow along if you'd like to. We'll also have it up on the screen here. Let's rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. John 1, verses 1 through 14, it goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through Him all might believe. He Himself was not the light, He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning confessing that we need to have our spiritual blind spots removed. I pray that you would do just that through your Holy Spirit. Speak to us through your Word, God. Open our hearts and minds. Make them soft and flexible and and pliable and willing to, to respond God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? If God walked through the doors of Elam Church this morning, came up to the front here, grabbed a microphone and said, all right. Open mic, question and answer. What do you think you might ask him? Or if you're not here as a believer today and you're, you're, you're not on board with all of this, this Jesus stuff just yet, think of the question like this. What are the big existential questions I have in my life? What are the things that, that kind of keep me, me up at night, keep me wondering, keep me, keep me guessing? To ask questions is a really universally human kind of thing. We've all got unanswered questions. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but I would venture to say there are probably some question marks there. Probably some things that you would look at that you would point to and be like, I don't know about this. What's, what's, What's going on here? Why is this happening? What about that? Maybe for you it's a relationship that went south and you don't know why? You keep praying for reconciliation. doesn't quite seem to be happening. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe you're struggling with identity, and you're just not quite sure how to answer that question, who am I? Like, who am I, and what am I here for? What is my purpose? Maybe your questions are job-related, like, is the career path I'm going down, is this going to work out? Or what do I do if I hate my job but still have to supply the needs of my, my family and put food on the table, right? 
Maybe you're lonely, feeling friendless, wondering if you're ever going to have a meaningful human relationship, connection, friendship ever again. Or maybe for you it's fear and doubt and anxiety and and worry, and the questions are a little less existential and more just practical, like how am I going to make it through another day without having a panic attack? And for some of us, these are the sorts of questions that, that we wrestle with. They're very deep, and just surviving another day feels truly heroic. So what about you? What, what questions do you have? The beginning of John's gospel, you notice it, it's very different from Matthew and Mark and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels, and they have a lot of similarities to them. They start out by giving a historic account of the earthly origins of Jesus, right? So Matthew, you get the genealogy, and Mark and Luke, it's, it's very earthly-minded in a sense, not in a bad way, but, but in a way that they, they start out kind of from the ground up. John's gospel, however, it has a very different starting point. He doesn't begin with Jesus' birth. He goes even further back to creation. You hear the, the echoes of that right here, in the beginning. What else starts out in the beginning? Well, the book of Genesis, yeah? But John pushes even further back than that into eternity past and before time began. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, this might sound like a little bit of a strange way to begin a book of the Bible, right? There's no in the beginning here. He's just talking about the Word. What, what in the world is, is he getting at? And if you've been a Christian for, for any period of time, you know what he's getting at, but there's actually something deeper going on here. What, what John is doing is he, he's doing this thing where he adapts a Greek philosophical concept in order to speak about Jesus. Okay, he takes the culture around him, the things, the ideas people are talking about, and he says, look, all of what, what you're, you're wanting, all of what you're seeking after is fulfilled in this one man. Now, the Greek word here used is logos, logos. Can you say that with me? Logos. And the many different philosophical schools use this word in a lot of different ways. So, for example, the Stoics saw the Logos as an underlying cosmic principle that escaped the view of most people but was available to a selected few. So that was the Stoics. And they're the Platonists, the ones that followed Plato. They viewed the Logos as a rational explanation, a kind of ideal, truthful discourse that could lead to real knowledge. Uh, for Aristotle, logos meant living ethically, well, but we could summarize the concept of the logos by describing it as a deep underlying principle that governs the lives of human beings and the universe. So whatever your deepest questions, the logos was the answer, the thing you appealed to to give your life meaning and order. So what is your logos? We all have one of these, something we appeal to or, or someone we look to, to to stabilize and center and guide our lives. What is your logos? What is that for you? Maybe for you it's a, it's a philosophy, not an academic discipline, but more just kind of like a, a way of, of living your life, a slogan, if you will. Love your neighbor or, or treat others the way you would like to be treated or be kind, rewind dating myself a little bit with that reference. 
You guys, there, there used to be a time, okay, you need to hear this history lesson. There used to be a time when if you had a VHS tape and you would rent it from the video store, if you returned it without rewinding it, okay, you would get charged extra. At least that's how it was at our place. Like I charged a quarter extra every time I didn't rewind it. So it was always a big question. Is it worth it or not? Anyway, I'm just venting old frustrations here apparently. Um, maybe your logos is a person or an influencer. You know, maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's the almighty Google. Maybe it's your, your favorite Bible teacher. Where do you look for answers to your biggest questions? When John talks about this logos, this ultimate answer to all of our, our deepest longings, he's saying there's a problem here, a really big problem. He's saying we as human beings don't actually have the ability to recognize the logos. We don't have the ability to understand it. Listen to John 1 verses 9 through 11 again. Here's what he says. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. John mixes his metaphors a lot. So when he talks about the logos, the word, the life, the light, he's referring to the same thing. But he's saying, look, the world did not recognize him, and his own did not receive him. What's he driving at here? Well, he's saying that we wouldn't recognize the logos if it were at the end of our nose. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Instead, we're all born in this world afflicted with spiritual blindness. The Bible uses the word sin to describe this condition. And David talks about it this way in Psalm 51, verse 5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Even the most innocent-looking baby is born to this world spiritually blind, unable to see the truth. Because the blood of the first Adam still courses through our veins, and we inherited this condition called original sin, which means we naturally prefer darkness to light. There's a website called The Experience Project. It's just a place where people go um, to share their thoughts on different questions, different issues, different life circumstances. And people respond to, to different posts to kind of answer the question. So uh, one post was made where it said, I prefer darkness to light, okay? And somebody responded to this, somebody with the screen name Beyond Repair, uh, which I think is very telling here. Here's what they say. They say, I prefer darkness over light. The darkness allows me to hide who I am and what I truly feel. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. Darkness makes it easier to hide. In the dark, you cannot see what is coming next. The darkness is a place where you can lose yourself. Here it is. Listen to this. Lost in the dark is a great place to be because then you are free from what you were and can be what you want. The darkness is bliss. The darkness is bliss. What do you think of that? I can certainly resonate with what's being said. And here's the thing. Even as Christians who have seen the light, we still have our spiritual blind spots. We're tempted to look at this metaphor of light and darkness and say, well, well I'm in the light now. And in a sense, yes, that is true. And yet, we are still drawn toward the dark. We still have our blind spots. 
We have those bad habits and histories and, and character flaws that we are not proud of. Sometimes we intentionally hide them. Sometimes we, we just can't see them. <clears throat> or maybe it's the case that we're too scared to admit they're even there. Usually they have to be exposed to us by someone else, which is why they're, they're called blind spots. This was true of Jesus' 12 closest followers. Listen to what Jesus said to Philip, his longtime disciple. He's, he's talking to Philip, and Philip's the disciples, a lot of times you'll notice as you're reading through the Gospels, you're like, seriously, come on, do you, like, do you really not get this at this point? But then I, I realized, like, the disciples are us. <laughs> Had we been there, that would have been our response too. But anyways, Philip is not getting it, so Jesus says to him, he says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Right? Philip is having to have a spiritual blind spot removed. And Jesus does this to his apostles again and again and again. As I was preparing the message this week, there was one interesting detail about the text that came to light for me. I'd, I'd never really considered it before, but... It was brought to my attention by a scholar and, and, and professor by the name of Peter Navsger, and, and, and he makes the point, um, he's talking about the verse, you know, John came, John the Baptist came as a witness to the light, as a, as a testimony to the light, right, so that all might believe. And we nod our heads and we're like, yeah, this was John, right? John was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the one preparing the way. He gives this, this testimony and he shines the light, you know, so that he tells us about the light so that all might believe. But Here's the thing. Why would a light need someone to testify about it? I mean, you think about it like this. I flip the flashlight on on my phone, and imagine this room was dark. You wouldn't need someone to come up here after I turned the light on and say, excuse me, have your attention, everyone. Just, just want you to know the light is now shining. You'd be like, well, yeah, we can see it. We don't need you to, to tell us that. Why would you feel the need to, to provide a witness or a, a testimony concerning the light? Like the second the light comes on, especially in a dark room, it's immediately obvious. So why would John need to testify about the light? Well, here's the thing. That's all true, except in the case when you're blind. Because if you're blind, the darkness and the light are the same, and you do need somebody to witness concerning the light. You do need someone to tell you about it. John is saying that this is our spiritual condition. Our blindness is so serious that we need someone to point it out. We need someone to, to tell us about it. Otherwise, we'd be content to wander around blissfully in the dark forever. The prophet Isaiah describes our spiritual blindness, this condition we have in this way. He says, like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, right at noon, in the bright light of the noon sun, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. Like the blind, we grope and search for answers to all of life's deepest questions, but in the end, none of them really satisfy, do they? If we're honest, they all fall short. 
Because we are like people without eyes, and, and not only that, but the end result of our spiritual blindness is, is death. It's eternal separation from God. In the end, if we say we want nothing to do with God, we want nothing to do with Him, the source of all light and goodness, in the end, He's going to let us have our way. He's going to allow us to experience that eternal separation and punishment from Him where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But thankfully, John doesn't leave us here. He doesn't leave us in the dark. Here is John 1.5. I invite you to, to read this with me together. I think we did the actions for this at one point, but I don't recall them. If you do, feel free to uh, get all charismatic for a moment here. Uh, John 1.5, please read with me. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Matthew picks up on this theme too. Matthew 4, 16. Let's read this one together too. It says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Man, isn't that like really, really great news? When light shows up in a dark room, it pushes back the darkness, right? The reverse is not true. You can't bring darkness into a room and shine it into the light because what is darkness? Just the absence of light. It's not even a thing that exists in and of itself. It's derivative. It's not original. It can't even exist apart from the concept of light. In the midst of the midnight of our hearts and the blackness of our bleak world, dawn breaks forth. And who is that dawn? You can say it. Jesus. We're talking about Jesus' birth in chapter 22 of the story this week. This is all about Christmas. So I thought it would be good to share a line with you from one of my favorite Christmas hymns. It came upon a midnight clear. It's one of my favorites. It says, And ye beneath life's crushing load. Man, life can crush you sometimes, can it? And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. And I feel that. Look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road. And hear the angels sing. See, God saw our situation and He moved to rectify it. He saw how far we'd gone from His love, so He sent His only Son into the darkness to rescue us. And He sees you this morning. He sees you right where you are in the midst of your fears and sins and doubts and, and big existential questions, but He wants to give you something more than an answer. He wants to give you Himself. See, the ultimate answer to all of life's questions isn't a what, but a who. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. He loves you. He forgives you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. The word, in the beginning was the word, the logos. Remember that deep underlying principle that guides our our lives in the universe? It's not an influencer or a philosopher or a bumper sticker. It is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to everything. Because in the final analysis, when you're wandering around in the dark, you don't need an answer. You need a light. An answer is not going to fix your situation, but a light will. And that's what Jesus gives us, a light that not only exposes us, but purifies us in the way that a UV filtration system purifies drinking water. See, Jesus doesn't expose us to call us out or to shame us or to shine the spotlight on our flaws. No, He does so in order to heal us. We're going to close this morning with a story. So everybody open up your copy of the second volume of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Nobody? Okay. The two towers. King Theoden takes the remainder of his kingdom into the mountain fortress of Helm's Deep to take refuge from the evil King Saruman. Saruman, he's just bred an army of orcs and goblins and trolls to destroy all of the good that remains in Middle-earth. And King Theoden and his bedraggled remnant of men and women and children, they're, they're all alone because their only ally, Gandalf, has left on another mission. And as the clouds descend and rain starts to pour, Saruman's ferocious, blood-curdling army marches 10,000 strong across the plains, stretching as far as the eye can see, and heading straight for Helm's Deep to finish off all good. Theoden and his forces are severely outnumbered. They even have to marshal young men and, and children to fight for them, most of whom have never held a weapon before. And as the arrows start to fly and the battle begins to rage, Theoden and his men initially hold their own, but it quickly becomes clear that this massive army is going to be too much for them. The enemy breaches the gate and the thousands of orcs and Uruk-hai pour over the walls, but just as King Theoden and his forces are about to be swallowed up, he remembers Gandalf's words to him. He remembers his promise When he said, look to my coming at first light on the fifth day, at dawn, look to the east. And the king raises his eyes, his weary, exhausted eyes, and he catches sight of a glorious thing. True to his word, Gandalf has come, and he's brought reinforcements. In the midst of the chaos and the uncertainty, when destruction and death seemed most imminent, Theoden dared hope, and his hope did not put him to shame. Gandalf and his army charged down the mountain, destroying Saruman's army and winning the battle as dawn breaks over the peak. I love this scene. I can picture it in my mind. 
Gandalf the gray has died, but he has returned Gandalf the white. See some pretty clear parallels here, right? Our crucified Savior came back from the dead to rescue us too. But He will never die again. He is risen. Amen? He is risen, and He has overcome the darkness and crushed the head of the serpent once and for all. The battle is done, the war is won, and for those who believe, the victory is yours today as well. Believe it. Receive it. If you're a Christian, maybe for the thousandth time, because Christians need the gospel too, And allow the light of Jesus to penetrate the deepest cracks and crevices of your heart this morning. Amen.